This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Perspective is a radio program that examines contemporary issues from the perspective of the principles of the Baha'i Faith. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org. That's B-A-H-A-I.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Many times Baha'i youth will take a year off between high school and college to do what Baha'is call a year of service. This typically involves volunteering at a Baha'i-inspired project of some kind in service to humanity. Today I'm playing an interview with Bahia Odestulet, a 19-year-old who, after graduating from high school, went overseas to Northern Ireland to participate in a social issues-oriented dance workshop called Lights of Unity, and to Kosovo where she worked for a non-governmental organization called the Global Perspectives Development Center. The interesting part of this story is her resistance to the idea of doing a year of service and the events in her life that led her to changing her mind. I started the interview by asking Bahia what were the circumstances that led her to doing a year of service after high school. Actually, I had no intention whatsoever of going on a year of service. And it just kind of all fell into place for me. Um, Let's see, my 12th, I'd like to start with 11th grade because that's when I decided not to go to college. 11th grade, all of my closest best friends were in the grade above me, and I actually always had a lot of issues with my own class, but my friends really are what got me through high school, and they are more than just friends to me. They are really my everything. 11th grade was very stressful for me. I always tended to try, when I started school, to try to give it my all and do my best and everything, and always by the end, I just gave up on everything and was like doing the least to get by and everything. So by the time, it was 11th grade when everyone was kind of applying to college and I was so stressed with school, so behind in my projects and I was, I had a lot of anger against the school system in general, how it was run. I was so stressed with trying, first of all, to pick the right college for me and then to then pick in a major even when I picked a major, like, I didn't know if I wanted to do dance, acting, singing, psychology. And then I said, okay, I'll look into psychology. And then I was like, I don't know if I want to do criminal psychology, educational, I don't know, cognitive. Like, there were, I was so overwhelmed with all these choices that I gave up. I was like, forget this. I want nothing to do with this. I got really angry. I was like, I don't, I don't want to go to school. I don't support it. I don't agree with everything. And I was like, how can they tell me to do all this stuff in the middle of school. I, like, I don't have time for applications. They make it so stressful. It's so much money, you know, and I was like, forget that. Before that, I always assumed I would go to college. Like, that, that was the next step. It was that moment, I think it was like the middle of the year, where I was like... Of 11th grade? or Yeah, 11th grade, where I was like, I'm not, I can't do this. It was more the applications. I was like, I can't do these applications, so I guess I'm not going to school. <laughs> And I was just, in general, fed up with school. So I was like, I need a year off. I was like, 
I don't think I can keep going like this because I'm losing my focus. I'm losing my drive to do well in school. And if I'm not doing well in school, what's the point? But I, I didn't think much of it, I guess. And then 12th grade came along. I was terrified for 12th grade because all my, not just friends, but my everything weren't there. And I hated my last year. Before that, I had a lot of fun in high school in some respects. I, I was very social with my friends. We went out and I kind of put socializing above everything else. Whereas in 12th grade, I started to lose that because I didn't have fun socializing anymore. And I found, I, I actually started getting into drinking and I found that, especially in 12th grade, I could only enjoy myself if I was drinking. And that was because I didn't, I just didn't really enjoy the people I was around. I guess because my other friends were such good friends that I couldn't appreciate anything else, any other kind of friendship. That started to get me thinking, actually, because I started realizing I don't want to live like this. I don't, I don't want to have to drink in order to have a good time. That's, that seems just such a waste of life, and it's just so ridiculous. So I, I, that was when I started to decide, okay, I'm going to do whatever I want. If I don't want to go to a party, I'm not going to go. If I want to go out to lunch by myself, I'm going to do that. If I want to drive to Connecticut and see my best friend, I'm going to do that. And I'm just going to pay attention to what I want and what's going to really make me happy instead of turning to alcohol, instead of saying, well, I'll just drink alcohol instead and that'll make me happy. It's like, that's, no, there's got to be more to life than that. And So that was like mid-year or what? Um, yeah, probably. Probably. I'm, I distinctly remember that closer to the end of the year. But I think that whole year um, was also when I started wanting to take the Baha'i faith more seriously too. Simply because I always believed in it. It was never a fact that I didn't believe in it. I just... It was always my parents' thing. It wasn't... I, I had... It wasn't my own thing. And and what it was to my parents really was, it wasn't it for me. It, And they had always tried to, to make it what it was for them for me. That's how I felt. And that pushed me away. And I was like, because I had so much actually against my parents, I it really distanced me from the faith. And I found more comfort in my friends and more, I don't know, I found more of myself within my friends. And I, I guess I just didn't need the faith. And then, as I didn't have my friends, I, I, I knew I needed something. And I knew that the Baha'i faith was there. And I realized I need, I need to investigate this more. I need to investigate this faith. And I also knew in the back of my head that when you start dedicating your life to God that confirmation that's what we call it um, divine confirmation that God God is always there but you can only receive his guidance and assistance if, if you turn to him and if you start dedicating your life to him which is the main thing I learned this year so did you notice that happening even before the end of 12th grade yeah that's yeah it started happening I started slowly, like I started saying my long obligatory, or my obligatory prayer. Why don't you explain what that is? We have one of three prayers that you're supposed to say daily. One is the short obligatory prayer, which you can say within 24 hours between noon and sunset. And then we have the medium obligatory prayer, which you, can, which you have to say 
like you choose between the three. So if you choose to say the medium obligatory prayer, you that's three times a day, morning, afternoon, and night. And then there's the long obligatory prayer, which is often said if you forget to say the short obligatory prayer, which you can say any time in 24 hours, basically. But I, it's also a great prayer that is is good to say even if you you know remember <laughs> so yeah um so you started it, saying it yeah i started saying it it's it's a, a real reminder of your place in this world and it's i find the long obligatory prayer very revealing like it's very humbling and it's like it's like god is seeing everything in you it's and it, and in that way for me it's very comforting it's like god knows everything that i'm going through and i'm confessing all my insides that i feel like i can't say to anybody and i don't even have to go into detail because he knows he he gets it and he's there for me and it's very comforting in that way and it's also yeah a reminder and i think there are a lot of divine mysterious reasons why we say the uh, we were supposed to say the obligatory prayer every day Um, so what was some of the sort of the divine blessings that you experienced before the end of the 12th grade probably the biggest blessing actually was the fact that I'm just thinking of this now was probably the fact that I had no friends and that forced me to turn to God which I always needed I didn't realize because actually my entire life I, I was an unhappy person and I I just was able to distract myself a lot of that. my friends were very good at distracting me from that because they're they're amazing lovely people but I was always sad and I had a lot of I don't know insecurity issues and if I had found the faith before that I I would have been a much happier person though I'm I'm happy with the way my life developed because I think it's perfect I just think everything is perfect yeah. so that that was the first and that kind of led me toward the faith. I mean, I wasn't committed to the faith. I didn't want to go. I still didn't want to go on a year of service, but I, I knew I needed something. So I had decided then I wasn't going to school, wasn't going to university. And I was thinking, well, I was trying to think of what can I do that's meaningful, that's fulfilling. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just take a year off and work and make money and kind of prepare myself for whatever and, and maybe kind of find myself in the process of course, the more I thought of that, the more depressing it seemed. And I was like, I knew, actually, I always knew in the back of my head that that's not what I want to do. The Pioneer Valley can be very cynical. And it's a beautiful place. It's gorgeous. It, and it's so artistic and so expressive. And the people are so intelligent. And I just found that this is a really special place. But it, it, it can be very cynical. And that can be really depressing. And I... And I wasn't at a place where I could take it because I personally was very <laughs> depressing as, and cynical. And I knew in the back of my head that if I stayed here and I worked, I, I, don't, I don't think I would be okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, my mom would bring up the idea of... Or once... Not often, because she, she knew <laughs> I wasn't excited about anything she really had to say about the, my faith or... Or, or the year of service or anything. But once in a while, she'd, she'd bring it up. And I'd be like, no. One thing I remember is 
I started hating everything. I started hating the U.S., hating people I, I didn't necessarily connect with, hating drama, hating my drama life. meaning uh, people just getting gossip. upset with each other. Yeah, 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 getting upset, not communicating, and just silly, petty living. And I just hated a lot of things. And I just realized... It wasn't that I realized. It was like, I can't be here anymore. I was like, I hate everything. I have to get out. I was like... In fact, before I decided to go on my year of service, I started having this plan of going to California. It was kind of like a a vice for me or something. Like, I, I kind of was like, I can do whatever I want. I've always wanted to go to California. I can get out of this mess. I can... And I was like, I have no idea what to do or how to do it, but it was something to occupy my mind and give me some kind of hope. But as the more I developed that idea, the more I felt more overwhelmed and stressed out, like I have no idea what I'm doing. And then my mom found this email about Lights of Unity, and it was a Baha'i dance workshop. And actually... Now, now you were interested in dance already? Yeah, I was just going to say that the only thing that really my my last year that distracted me from all of this that really really made me happy was dance and i realized that i needed to hang on to that i was like i it was the only thing that made me happy and feel good and i was like okay that's something i'm i'm going to look for some kind of dance but i was never really professional i i didn't know what i wanted to do and i never felt good enough in that respect either so my mom found this dance workshop. I wasn't psyched because I also find that in many dance workshops, the, the dancing is lower than, like the, the standard of dancing is low. I always wanted to be challenged dance-wise. But, um, well, she found this email about Lights of Unity, and I was skeptical. But it was a new project. They, they were into really, like, deepening us in the issues and in the writings. Like, I, w I was also afraid of kind of a superficiality because I, I come from a very artistic environment and a lot of pain, not just me, just in general. And I've done a lot of really meaningful artistic pieces and been involved with amazing groups that are just into expression and... And so that was really important to me. And also that we're really about social change. And I personally believe that Baha the Baha'i faith is about social change. That's everything it is. But, that's, but everybody kind of has a different feel of what the Baha'i faith means to them. But I guess the project seemed very sincere to me. And that's, that's what stood out. It seemed sincere. And that they really meant, wanted to make a difference. I guess that's what it was. And um, yeah, they wanted to make a difference. And... It was dance, and it was expression, and it was dance theater, which is, to me, I guess I wouldn't say even more expression, but it, it is a certain, it's really hands-on, like, because it's acting, and you really can express yourself in that way, though I find in other dancing you can really express yourself in other ways, but it's more abstract, I guess. Mm -hmm. So she read it, and I wasn't... I wasn't completely turned off. I was a bit intrigued by it when she read it the first time, but I was, I guess you could say, prejudiced enough to still say no and say... And ha I had all my fears about it, so I still said no. It was like in the beginning, I had my idea to work 
and take my year off. And I was okay with that. But as I started to think about it more and more and kind of progress to the fact that that's, that's not what's going to work for me. And then when I went through my thing with California, it was like Lights of Unity kept popping up during that kind of progression with me. And so as I started to go through my sequence and grow a bit with that, Lights of Unity started to make more sense into what I wanted to do. Because what I wanted to do was to do something meaningful and fulfilling. And I actually did want to dedicate my life to the Baha'i faith. And I wanted to incorporate it more into my life, um, more fundamentally, more steadfast, I guess, like more concrete than it was. I, I didn't really know how because my whole life I, I just ignored. I, I didn't educate myself in the writings and the laws. I, I just kind of knew some things in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. Lights of Unity was definitely a divine blessing. It came out of nowhere. It was the first year. I knew I didn't know anyone involved with it because all the other cast members involved had some kind of connection that they were invited to. I have no idea how my mom got this email or why. It was, it was based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. What is our connection to that? It came from nowhere. I had nothing, absolutely nothing, and it filled certain aspects that, well, the only aspects that I was looking for. And I, I was starting to really hate the U.S., and I was like, I, I want to get out of the U.S. California is still in the U.S., you know? By the end of, I guess, my entire process, I had decided this is actually what I want. Mm. This is actually... This is actually perfect. I, I want to get out of the U.S. I want to experience something else. I want to find myself. I don't know if I realized it then, but now looking back, finding myself completely detached from my current surroundings was what I needed. Mm. I needed to be alone, kind of, and, and instead of having all these pressures of other people and these distractions and these opinions about my life and that you're constantly surrounded by, especially with your family. It was like because I had decided to turn to God, he he sent it right to me. He Mm. just sent it to me and was like, this is for you. Mm. So. All right. When did you head off to Belfast for Lights of Unity? I headed off, uh, I think... July 17th? 2005? 2005, yeah. Just after high school? Just that, yeah, middle of summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what did you find when you got there? When I first landed, I was so happy. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was so green, so lush. Um, And the people were very sincere. I really, really connected with the people immediately. We were completely involved in the Baha'i community. And I, when I got there, I, I had made the decision. I had consciously told myself that I have to be open to these people, that I have to expect that I won't necessarily connect with them. And I have to be open to who they are and accept them for who they are. The Baha'i community in Northern Ireland was amazing. They were just so into service. They just wanted to do so much for their community, for for Northern Ireland. And that's where this project came out of, was that they, this one, the guy who started it had done um, a dance workshop in Canada. And the reason why he started the one in Northern Ireland was because he, he thought, or he knew, this we could really use this where I'm from. And to me, that's, that's really special. You know, mm-hmm. if you want 
if you're so aware of your out, outer community and, mm-hmm. and that you want to make a difference to these people, that's what matters to me. And, mm-hmm. and the Baha'is there were really, really got that part of the Baha'i faith. They really, mm-hmm. they were very sincere. And, mm-hmm. and the youth were amazing. The youth were so dedicated. And they had once this huge uh, youth meeting. It was just youth. It was organized by the youth. And they were, like, from all different communities. But it was a cluster. It wasn't just one small town. And they all got together to, com- to, to like, tell each other what's going on and to organize events together and, and really do something. And it was so inspiring for me because I'd never been around such dedicated youth. I think that was perfect for me because it, it was like, look, Bahia, there are other types of people out. You can't judge something based on your own experience. There's, there's more out there. And I think that's what I really, really needed. The cast were not Northern Irish. They were um, from all, more than, ha- or about half of us were from different parts of the States, mm-hmm. and, which was interesting because we all really, really represented our different types, different uh, parts of the states. You know, we had someone from the south and someone from the west, and then there was me from the northeast, mm-hmm. and it, it was really amazing mm. because we had to accept each other. And I think otherwise, I think otherwise we might have because of the Baha'i faith. But if if we didn't hadn't had the Baha'i faith, we would have really been consumed with our prejudices. I think. Mm. So tell me about the troupe itself, the dances, what kind of preparation you had to go through before you mm-hmm. started. And I assume it's a performance troupe. Mm-hmm, yeah. We, okay, when we first went, we all met up, slowly got there one by one. We all kind of started talking to each other. And then we started training. And training was, let's see, we, we danced. I don't remember the exact schedule, but we danced pretty much all day learning the dances and we also had deepenings. Actually, the training, yeah, was very well organized. We, we had a full day of dancing interlaced with deepenings, and then we had meals prepared so for us. So what's deepenings? Deepenings were, um, we actually had different kind of talkers or facilitators come and talk to us about certain aspects of the Baha'i faith. They, were, they would bring different writings of the faith, and we would kind of delve deeper into them and, and talk about them and... And that was actually the beginning of my reformation. That that was very emotional time for me. And that was when I fell in love with the Baha'i faith, when I really grasped it grasped it and and decided to really dedicate my everything to it. And that was right in the beginning. There were just there was one there was this particular deepening about health. And this is the one I, I actually started crying I broke down and started crying. And, which is funny because it makes sense in my own head, but everyone else there was like, what's wrong with this girl? It's like this book I'm reading <laughs> about we all have kind of a map in our what's, head. What's the name of the book? Uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. By Stephen Covey. Yeah. Uh, it's, and he says that we all have kind of a map in our head of what we're living according to. And we might not realize this. And most of us don't realize this at all, actually. And that's where a lot of conflicts come in. We all have something, whether it's society or the media or, or revolving around money or revolving around what other people think or revolving around a li- religion. We all have kind of a map that we're living according to. 
And most of it, I mean, growing up in society, you can't help but be affected by kind of the principles of whatever society that is. And and in this society, it's very contradicting and very confusing and very unhealthy. So the Baha'i faith, I mean, what we believe is the Baha'i faith has come for this day to set out a universal map, I guess you could say, for so that you can kind of get a grip of true reality and that way everyone can start to learn how to live with each other on the same page and communicate and find a way to love each other and that that is the only way for world success for global success anyway so this is kind of the process of the Baha'i faith is we have to slowly figure out a way to integrate it into our lives because what I I find myself saying a lot is that we're all products of the old world order so trying to integrate this new map is a struggle for all of us because we have habits we have unhealthy habits and unhealthy ways of thinking and prejudice is so ingrained in us that we we don't realize it's there and we have to learn to acknowledge it and to change it and that's hard that's very very hard and very painful but it's worth it and it's it's necessary and how how does that relate to so this kind of all comes around to health because I, I mean I guess one of the fundamental things I believe is that in order to offer effective service you have to be healthy and you and the best kind of service you can give only can happen when you are healthy both physically, spiritually, and mentally. And so I often got very, very upset when I saw that people would overexhaust themselves or not eat right or or not speak up anything. I mean, and I saw this a lot. And I think these these are the things that come from the old world order. So that's kind of how it all... And But I see that people don't realize that and don't accept how different our two worlds are, the Baha'i faith and our society. Mm. And that's what caused you to break down and cry? At the well, what happened was when he started reading these writings about health, they were things that I had always believed but never could express effectively. I, I, I always had a hard time explaining myself to the extent that I felt. Like I would say something and and the way it came out wasn't really what I meant and I didn't know how to make it clearer ever and I always tried to convince people that look you know you need to be healthy and in whatever way you need to do this and this and this and but it it wouldn't go over and maybe they would be more scientific about it in in a kind of altered way (laughs) and I wouldn't know the logistics of things I just know that you need to sleep. You need to have a sufficient amount of sleep. You need to eat the right nutrition. You need to maybe not eat late at night. Whatever. Millions of things. It, mm-hmm. And it also all comes from respecting yourself. And, you know, I could go on forever. So when he started saying these things, it was like, I realized, because he's reading these writings of Abdu'l-Bahá. Now, who's all, Abdu'l-Bahá? Uh, the son of Baha'u'llah, um, who is the prophet founder of the faith these people are going to respect that and believe it and realize that it's true and then po- and possibly change their life because of it or change certain habits maybe mm. either way they'll know that it's true mm. i don't have to tear myself up about it 
because they're saying it as real facts and they're saying it in the most beautiful eloquent way eloquent way I've ever heard and it just it was like salvation for me it was like because I had struggled with this issue my entire life I really had just the issue of um, expression I think was always big and when I just heard them speaking my thoughts it was like I'm not alone it just felt like I am not alone and and this faith is 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 for the best for me it's it's out for the best for me it's it's only a comfort it's not it's not something um, I have to try to conform my life to it's something I want to conform my life to it's not it's not just there to challenge me it's there to help me and to love me and that's it and and I want to be challenged you know I, I want to conform to it mm. so that was that was huge for me yeah. that was what made me fall in love with it before mm. it was like I knew it was there and I knew I needed help but it was that that mm. I was like I, I there are no words to express mm. I'm in love you right. know right. So. so tell me about the dances that the troupe did um, we did dances on um, the extremes of wealth and poverty uh, uh, prejudice um, I the prejudice one was usually it's about racism but um, what was more relevant was um, sectarianism because in Belfast there's from way back when just huge issues with sectarianism, the Catholics and the Protestants. And did you see that yourself in your own? I didn't see so much direct prejudice but I mean you go into areas and there are Catholic areas and there are Protestant areas. And, and actually, you hear of killings on the radio. You hear of riots. Um, and, I mean, you could feel it. You knew. But the places we went were either all Catholic or all Protestant. Or some were integrated, but they, it was like work that they, they were... It was work they were doing, so they got along. There wasn't at least and plus we it's not like we were in school really experiencing it so so would you say the whole so of no northern ireland is pretty much segregated yes in, in, as far as living is concerned very, yeah, between yeah, protestant yeah. and catholic very much but there were some areas where there it was a mainly catholic area and then there would be a a protestant um ghetto inside and it was it was pretty scary is it was pretty scary, and or was it not the other way around, uh, where it was the yeah. Protestant area, and then you had a Catholic ghetto? That yeah, that would be more more likely that it would be Protestant area because the Protestants were generally the rich ones and um, in in control. Okay, so you had a dance on prejudice, prejudice, yeah, and you and you. It was a sectarian. Yeah, I mean point the dance view. itself is the same no matter what. But it was more the intros. We would have intros oh, before each okay. show, and we would kind of. We did mention that there was all kinds of prejudice, and in fact, Northern Ireland is having more prejudice against races because more populations becoming more diverse. Yeah, the po yeah, there are more diverse people moving in. Um, so that is still relevant, but it's not as a, as big of an issue. So we would we would stress the sectarianism in the intro, but the dance was the same. 
Um, and then we would have one on gang violence, which I found interesting because it seemed that um, when you say the word gang, they immediately relate it to America and the Bloods and the Crips, which is really interesting because they did have gangs there, but it was they didn't call them gangs, I guess. They had the paramilitary and... Well, they would recruit, you know, young people, and they were, they would beat people up senselessly, and it was really bad. Mm-hmm. But um, domestic violence was another one. Um, we had one on the equality of men and women, uh, drug abuse, and that's it. And then we had mm. a multi- multicultural ending, which was dances from all different cultures and as kind of to show that there's some kind of hope and we need to work together. Mm-hmm. And what what were the different cultures that were represented in that game? We had, let's see if I remember, we actually had a hip-hop dance. Mm-hmm. We had a swing dance. We also had Brazilian. How far and wide did you go with your troop? We actually traveled, well, we traveled all of Northern Ireland, definitely. I'd have to look what, at a map you don't, to... You don't remember some of the towns that... Oh, yeah, we went to Oma. Yeah, Oma, Derry, or Londonderry, depending on whether you're Catholic or Protestant. Belfast, and then other little towns that I don't remember. Right. We also went down to the Republic of Ireland into Cork. And we went to Scarborough in England for a conference there. That was cool. That was really cool. Why is that? Yeah. Oh, it was a uh, conference of... It was a Baha'i conference. We spent the entire year going to schools and youth clubs and stuff like that. So it was cool to kind of go to a big Baha'i conference with all these Baha'is and these sessions and uh, mm-hmm. different aspects of the faith and and then to perform for them. You know, it was a big... I don't know, it's just morale a big booster. event. Yeah, yeah, morale booster, exactly. Yeah. So it was really cool. So you mentioned these venues. You said schools mm-hmm. and clubs. and mm-hmm. There uh, were some, like, um, dance festivals, mm-hmm. too. And and what was the general reaction to the to the dances? Uh, crying, and they, everybody loved it. No matter where we went, they... Actually, one time we went to this school, there were... The adults weren't really paying attention, and they were kind of going in and out and talking. And it was like, by the end of our prejudice dance, the teachers were standing on the stairs trying to see over the kids. Is People were always moved. And it was always, it was always for the kids, you know, whatever age group. But the adults loved it. They, they were always so moved by it and were like, you know, come back, come back, come back. Mm-hmm. It was really amazing to see that. But it was it was also sad in a way cause, because we were moving around so much, we couldn't go back. So that was tough. Mm. Um, and we felt, I think I felt, I think other people felt that, I don't know, it's less fulfilling if you can't go really go back and help these people. Mm. Um, you just kind of sure. leave them with a performance and, and you don't know how long that effect's going to really last. Mm. So... Mm-hmm. But it's getting developed, you know. They're becoming right. more developed, and the idea was to kind of get trained in workshops and mm-hmm. do workshops with them. But mm-hmm. that's still kind of being developed. So, yeah. 
we were we what we would do was break up into groups and kind of just have discussions with the kids. It was very <laughs> unplanned, <laughs> um, which could be stressful. But when when you could get going with the group, it was very inspiring. And yeah. but I guess even just to get people talking is a step. Mm-hmm. So how long were you with Lights of Unity? I was with Lights of Unity for seven months, eight months. And then uh, what did you do after after Lights of Unity? After Lights of Unity, I went to Kosovo. <laughs> Basically, I was looking for, just to kind of finish up my year of service, what else I could I could do. It, because by the, it's funny, this kind of goes back to the beginning, which is by the end of my year of, ser- of my service with Lights of Unity, I had gotten to the point where I didn't care what I was doing. I just wanted to help. I just wanted to serve and serve according to the faith because the faith was so pure and so honest and I could trust it. And I could, I had learned through that year that I could trust everything that it said and I had received confirmations of the integrity of it. And so I, I had really dedicated my life to it since then, by then. So I just went online looking for for whatever. I I had about three months left and or available, and I went on like the youth service board online or something that I found. And I was just looking. I was kind of going down the list looking through things. And then this one in Kosovo. I'd never heard of Kosovo before. It said, you know, we're desperate for people to come for three months in bold letters and. You know, we're looking for... Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what they said, but but it just kind of stood out to me. And I was like, uh, well, I'll, I'll look into this. I was like, okay, it's in Kosovo. I, I doubt I'll actually go, but I'll look into it. So I started... I emailed the Pioneer Board, and then they gave me... No, that's part of the Baha'i faith or something? <laughs> yeah, yes, because Baha'is are encouraged to pioneer to another country to live and serve in a, another country and help people and experience. To me, service and pioneering, it's more about self-transformation <laughs> rather than, you know, the best way to help somebody. But I think also being a foreigner in another country is has a lot of impact and there's people tend to listen to you know you when you talk they they listen and depending on where you come from you you might have an upper hand and if you can use that for the good that's important um but yeah so Baha'is are are very encouraged to do that so I contacted them so I I emailed this guy Raj Milan I I didn't realize that I was contacting this organization there but he had he's the manager of an NGO uh, there, and it's... Um, Non-governmental organization. Yes, yes, called Global Perspective Development Center. And it's, it's moral education for the youth there. And they, they have, currently I think they have a, a project called Global Motion under them, where, which is for youth. Um, and they have kind of a curriculum they put together that's... From usually from kind of study books that are based on the Baha'i writings, but it's not about the Baha'i faith. Um, they just kind of use that as a foundation. And they have a project for junior youth now, which is actually new. And those, they use the junior youth books that have recently come out, which is also 
they're like workbooks mm -hmm. and they're about stories of different people and what they learn from life and how they can pull through hard situations and they're really very good books mm. So I emailed him, and I told him my situation, and he, I don't know, well, we emailed back a couple times. He sent me their kind of curriculum, or not curriculum, but their, their projects, their upcoming projects, and I was very impressed. I was so impressed with the sincerity and the hands-on, and they, they seemed really successful. They seemed very organized, and they knew what they were doing, and their heart was really in it. And I was like, this is it. I was like, I want to be involved in this. Because also with the, with the curriculum that they were all studying, they also had artistic side. And instead of, that, instead of the artistic being the focus, it was more of an added expression. So that because they were pieces with meaning and with a message, but then there was more to that. And actually, they had the youth who were studying all this material. They, and they weren't Baha'is. Um, they were coming up with these pieces, so uh, it was. It seemed very healthy, you know, and and very expressive and beautiful. So how many youth were involved? Oh wow, there were. They have six, six groups in six different regions, or they have one group in six different regions. So they have six groups all together, um, and there's usually about twenty average in each group. So about 120 folks. Yeah. So it's very effective. And the youth, these youth, you could tell the difference that it made in their lives. Because Kosovo, the mentality is very low there. And What do you mean by that? Oh, how do I explain? Um, but, you know, guys generally, I mean, you, you, all, all the waiters there are guys, mostly. It's Once in a while you'll see girls working at a place. But, and that's because guys work. You know, guys generally work and girls are take care of the house. And it's still very much that mentality. And they are slowly coming out of it. But it's amazing the difference between here and the West, or Kosovo and the West. And um, it is actually interesting because they have taken a, on a lot of Western ideas, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that in kind of consumerism and fashion and um, I don't know things like that movies they have you know music but there's still a very distinct culture that they have which is I guess uh, ethnic Albanian yes ethnically Albanian yeah I mean there are good and bad aspects to it like they're very family oriented very and they're very hospitable you know I learned a lot from things like that um, very, actually, you know, they're very service oriented too. You know, they. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't say service oriented in life, but on a daily basis, they really want to take care of their guests and make sure that they're not doing anything. Mm. You know, and they're being really taken care of. Yeah. So, you emailed back and forth, and they offered you a position there. Yeah, well, we emailed, he sent me the thing, and I was like, this looks wonderful, this is great, blah, blah, blah. And then he sent me an application, and he said, you know, we're looking for, some, for a really mature, independent, responsible youth. Those are the words that stood out to me. And I felt like I had come to that place and that, that this is what I wanted, because I did want independence, actually. And it, it was also kind of like, they're going to respect this youth, whoever goes and... 
they're going to listen, you know, they're going to, this person's going to come as kind of a, a, a co-worker, not as someone they're going to take care of and, and be their own vice to do what they want, mm-hmm. so, which was cool. And it, it was exciting for me, you know, I felt like, because over my year, I kind of found my voice and I realized that my voice is very unique. And, and I also realized everybody, the, the Baha'i faith really brought this out too, is that everybody has their own perception of reality and there's this concept in the Baha'i faith of consultation this beautiful gift that the Baha'i faith has given to us and it's communication and it's the way that pe- that a group of people can determine the, the truth and the only way you can determine the truth is by every single person offering their side their perception of it so that we can because we ourselves only have one piece and what we need is everyone else's to get the full picture and so through this through the writings and through experience I realized that I have a special voice that everybody has a special voice and beforehand I never felt I always felt stupid and I never liked to talk and I was always very very insecure when I talked but by the end I was like I, I not only do I have a voice but I have a duty I actually have a duty to speak my voice because I might say something that no one's ever thought of and that could be really useful mm. and, and everybody has that duty in fact so you felt like you filled the bill yeah well and that I was ready that I could do it because before my year there was no way I would have had the confidence but I did feel like I fit the bill I, did, I felt like yeah this is for me this is what I need right now whereas beforehand I would have said I'm not good enough when I decided to go and before I went, I said, but here you have to be confident and you have to, you're going to have to maybe not try to wait for people to ask you what your opinion, you're going to have to put yourself out there. You're not, you can't be babysat. You're going to have to be, what's the, like not outgoing, but I guess assertive. That's the word, assertive. Yeah, so I went and... Um, so what was it like when you first arrived there? When I first arrived, I... <laughs> I, it was a very small plane, very hot plane. And when I arrived, <laughs> I realized, you know, there was all these people, these, um, I don't know, older people that were Albanian probably or Macedonian or something. And, and <laughs> it was funny because I realized, I was like, they're probably thinking, what the hell is she doing here? <laughs> like, Did you look any different? Well, I was this young girl. I look younger than I am, so I probably looked like 15. I'm 19. I don't know if they could tell I was an Albanian because I like I got people often assumed that I was Albanian. But I was this little girl. I did I had a lot of luggage. Maybe they could tell from my mannerisms, maybe not. I don't really know. No one really travels alone, especially my age, especially 15 if they think I'm 15. Mm-hmm. And uh and I did feel American. You know, I don't know if they could pick that up or not. I did. I just felt like what is she what is she doing? And I got that a lot. If I met people, they'd be like, why are you here? <laughs> you know, if I met people on, on my... Like, that happened to me when I went to Macedonia. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to these girls. Tell me about Macedonia. It was just the only time I was by myself, and I met people kind of outside of my situation there. And, you know, and I was Amer- I was just this American girl by myself in Macedonia because I was in Kosovo, really. Actually, when they found out I was staying in Kosovo, they were like, why? <laughs> you know, they were like, out of all places, if you're coming to the Balkans, you know, don't go to Kosovo. But I was like, well, I'm volunteering, you know, <laughs> not expecting it to be a holiday. So 
So what was your position there? I was, I guess, I was the artistic consultant. The staff was all youth, about 20, um, 20, 21. Raj is like 27, you know, he's, but he's very youthful, he's very fun, and he's extremely talented. Um, but I guess he had generally done most of the artistic stuff, but he's the manager now, and so he didn't really have time for all that. So I was there just to kind of help people out, basically. From an artistic point of view? Yeah, just kind of be there, and yeah, exactly. So with that mindset of being assertive, I, I really was able to somehow put myself out there, and I, I really feel like I made the best of that situation, the, the best I could, whereas I never felt like I'd fully reached my potential before. Mm. And I, I, I still haven't fully reached my human potential, but, but doing the best I can in any situation yeah. was very fulfilling. So you said there were these six groups of, what, 12 kids each or something like that, or 20 kids each? Yeah, around 20 average. Yeah, and so you were responsible sort of artistically for those? No. Let's see. There were three staff from GPDC. Each one was in charge of two groups, and they were in charge of the artistic pieces and the theory, and so I was helping them out, basically. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in I charge see. of I see. So you were myself. a consultant to these three staff members. Yeah, yeah, basically. I ended up being more focused on only a couple, and that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and what did you do with those couple? I Let's see. There was one group. I, I actually ended up creating an artistic piece for them. Um, Dance? It was like a... They do it... It's like kind of a play to music, and then... But no talking. Um, not really a play, but like an abstract kind of thing. And then there are like a couple dances that they do in that. So there's that. That was based on materialism, which was cool. Mm-hmm. And then I also helped them create a step piece for that two groups, like half of two groups we're going to do together. Um, and that was my main focus. Mm-hmm. And that was good. And so you were there from mm-hmm. March until... Mm-hmm. July. End of March to July 3rd. Yeah, and then you March came back. March 27th to July 3rd, yeah. So now that you're back here, <laughs> and can you see or can you describe for us the transformation that you see in yourself from I've, this experience? I can attempt. I don't know how much I can put into words, but I've found peace within myself. And that is the most amazing thing. Because I haven't had that my entire life. It's hard to explain. I Coming back, I think in Kosovo, it was very, very lonely for me. Extremely lonely um, because I couldn't communicate with anyone. And there were people I would Because of the language Because barrier. of the language. The language was so difficult for me. Because I, I, I thrive on human connection. And um, there were so... It was too easy to misunderstand because I had the issue of misunderstanding with English. It was even more difficult with the language barrier. I mean, I met some wonderful people and I had some really good friends, but it was it was still very, very extremely lonely. But I was always fulfilled in this other sense of... I mean, this is why I would turn to God because I there were just some prayers that uh, were very comforting and it was like, God is always here. God understands you. God knows what you're going through and he's holding your hand and he's protecting you. These aren't actual prayers, but mm-hmm. this is the message th- mm-hmm. that I got. And mm-hmm. 
that was comforting. It was like I was okay. As a, I was finally okay. After everything that I had been through, I had come to a point where I was happy with myself. And I enjoyed being with myself. And I was, I was full. And I, I was happy. But there was always this loneliness, this aching loneliness. And I was afraid that no matter where I was, I would always feel this. Though at the same time, I also knew that my situation was very difficult and it would be better. But I, I was afraid of, of being like, oh, it's all going to be better when I go home because I, I was afraid that that was a bit naive and that I would be very disappointed. So I tried not to kind of let my difficult situation be an excuse. But it turns out that coming home with this new fulfilled me into my family that really gets me as much as maybe they don't even realize like because you know we grew up with the same kind of perception with the same kind of characteristics the same way of talking and thinking though it's different but there's a similarity you have with your family you cannot have with anyone else even my best friends you know that was so fulfilling for me. I was just so happy. I just felt it really filled that. I, I, I always felt like there was an emptiness inside me that was never going to be filled. First, it was God, I think. And, and, once, and I remember when I first fell in love with the faith, that emptiness did fill. I felt whole again. But then as time went on, and I, I would get lonely and there were other hardships. It was hard. And I, I started to feel empty again. It was like there were pockets of me that were slowly being filled one by one. And so by the end of my service in Kosovo, I was completely fulfilled. And especially by the end, I, had, I actually kind of reunited with two people from my tour in the Lights of Unity because um, my friend was living in Greece and her boyfriend was visiting her and he was in Lights of Unity as well. So I reunited with them. So it was like a slow integration for me. Because that, that was also, it was like I was very lonely in Kosovo. And then I had my friends, and that was, that was more fulfilling. Like, it, it filled another pocket, but it didn't complete me because they, they still didn't get me the way my northeastern extent, like, both my family and my friends get me. But they're wonderful, and I love them, and they helped me so much that last week. And then coming home, just, I was just whole. I just felt completely whole coming it was so funny like coming into the boston airport you have all these people in sweatpants and ponytails and talking with their you know american accent it was just so funny to me <laughs> it was just so cool i was like man they're all the same in, in their in their boston kind of way in their massachusetts kind of way mm. it's like that's that's funny that was cool did you leave hating america i left hating america hating it hating everything and I came by the time I was done I was I there were aspects of America I really appreciated mm -hmm. I think there's a balance between faith and reason and I found I think one big thing that I found is they're they're just very extreme depending on where you go it's either one or the other extreme and some people are I guess lost in faith without reason which just turns into superstition and uh, and it's unhealthy generally and then other people are just lost in reason and without faith i think you 
it kills you in a way. Mm. It, it's if you don't have faith, it's very hard to get on in this world. I think, especially if, if you think a lot, <laughs> if because it's a very hard place that the world is at. It's a very mm. sad place. I guess because I come from the northeast, I I value the reason a lot, <laughs> and maybe it's just a way of thinking in general. You know, every but every kind of pocket has their way of thinking. So coming back home is comforting in that you know there are people that think like me too. Though it's very important, and you can have great relationships with people that think differently as well, and it's mm-hmm. very educating too. Mm-hmm. It just goes hand in hand with you know different. Pers- we all need everybody's different perspective to make a whole picture. I think so. Mm. So what are your plans for the future? (laughs) My plans are to go to university. (laughs) I've finally come around. Um, I've always left my future open. I never, ever knew what I wanted to do, and I still don't. But through my year, I realized that I have a... My way of thinking tends to be very psychological, and I tend to always try to learn from things. And I'm always asking the question, why? Why is somebody like that? So a year ago, when you said, well, it might be music, I mean, it might be dance, yeah. it might be this, it might, it might be psychology, and then what kind of psychology, yeah, is it yeah. be clinical? So has that at all gotten straightened out, or is that still a big question mark? It's not, it's, all of those things are very, uh, are still very real, but it's not a big question. I'm, I'm, I'm finding a way to integrate it all. I still need the arts. I... I love the arts. They, I, I need them in my life to be happy, I think. But I, I've picked my major as psychology. I, it's education that I can help people with, like the greater humanity. It's, and then the arts, I'm, I, I want to excel in that too, in dance especially. And I, I don't know exactly how yet, but I'll figure it out. I'm kind of letting life kind of come as it comes, and I'm not worried. I'm just like, I guess I have faith that everything's going to work out. Every Everything has worked out so far, and I don't have to worry about it. Because <laughs> I, I fully, I fully believe that everybody has everything they need at every given moment, and we just have to kind of look at what we have and see how we can work with it and, and what, what we can learn. You know, what, what's our lesson every mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. every phase of our life. And though life is still complicated and confusing, you can always go back to it and see, okay, how can I simplify this and how can I take the right course that's, that's going to make me a better person and have the best effect on those around me. Mm. So that's, that's helped me a lot <laughs> with all of these things. Well, thank you very much for sharing your year of of service with us. No problem. (laughs) Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bahio Desjolet, a 19-year-old who went overseas to Northern Ireland to participate in a dance workshop called Lights of Unity, and to Kosovo, where she worked for the Global Perspectives Development Center after graduating from high school. If you want information on Lights of Unity, you can go to the website lightsofunity.org And for information on the Global Perspective Development Center in Kosovo, you can go to abahaiperspective.com, and I'll leave a link there for that information. You can also go to abahaiperspective.com for a copy of this and archived interviews. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. (laughs) 